from the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School. This is Work and Life on Business Radio. Welcome to Work and Life. I am so glad you're here to listen in on the conversation that we have every week, exploring all those things related to work and the rest of your life, your family, your community, your private self. That's your mind, body, and spirit. I am your host, Stu Friedman. I'm the founding director of Wharton's Work-Life Integration Project and the Wharton Leadership Program. Started both of those 30 years ago. And now I run a management consulting and training company. It's called Total Leadership, where you can get help individually or in your organization, finding harmony among the different parts of life while improving performance in all of them. Just visit totalleadership.org for all kinds of assets there, videos, free book chapters, articles of all kinds, tools for free at totalleadership.org. New episodes of this show premiere Thursdays at 5 p.m. Eastern here on Sirius XM channel 132. And you can follow us on Twitter at SXM Business, and I'm at Stu Friedman. Well, my guests today are a husband and wife team who, like many people, were uh, running a business, seemed to have been going quite well, and then boom, the pandemic hit, changed everything about their world, our world. We're going to talk today about how they were able to, uh, to pivot, to adjust, and to keep growing, and what that meant for their business, but also for their, their uh, relationship as a, as a couple and remembering uh, what it means for them and for others in similar circumstances to, to thrive in, in both parts of life when you are joined in both parts of life, work and uh, home life. I am delighted to introduce Ann Driscoll and Chris Schultz. They are co-founders of an organization called Launchpad, which we're going to be talking all about. Ann serves as CEO. Chris is the Chief Community Officer. Ann and Chris, welcome to Work and Life. Hey, Stu. It's great to meet you. So glad to be here with you today. Well, it's great to have you here. Let me tell our listeners just a little bit about the two of you before we get started on the conversation. Launchpad was started in New Orleans following the devastation of Hurricane Katrina. Ann Driscoll is a longtime Silicon Valley executive. She was an early Google employee and post-Google has taken her expertise to the Valley's high-growth startup scene, focusing on championing emerging ecosystems and creating platforms to support small businesses like Ning, Duola, and GoDaddy. Chris was born in Nigeria to American parents who were working in the Peace Corps, and he was inspired by the hustle, grind, and entrepreneurship he saw daily in the Nigerian marketplaces of his youth, which I'm very curious about. He's an active angel investor and has spent 15 years plus bringing together the doers of the world, startups that have raised over $160 million in venture capital and created over 5,000 jobs. Well, Ann and Chris, what are you doing for Ann's birthday? Oops. <laughs> Now, that is a great question. What are you doing for your birthday? <laughs> I, uh, I am going to celebrate with my girlfriend, uh, safely, of course, who also shares a birthday this week. And we're going to be taking a trip from here in Sonoma County down to San Francisco, which has just opened up outdoor dining to enjoy a nice lunch. And I'm not going to be hanging out with my husband or my baby, which is actually a fairly rare treat these days. <laughs> I get it. How old is your child? I guess she's not a baby anymore. She's uh, two and a half. All right. Well, happy birthday, Anne. Um, so I, I definitely want to talk uh, about you know, what it's like for you together as a family, also running a business and how you differentiate roles and responsibilities and how that spills over one part of life to another. But I, I want to start with, uh, with Launchpad and how it began. Uh, so what is Launchpad? And how did you get it going? So Launchpad is a network of co-working spaces. And um, really what that means is a, is a community, a workspace of entrepreneurs and people working entrepreneurially, working together under one roof. Um, we provide uh, programming, education, support, 
Uh, and uh, we started in New Orleans in post-Katrina. Um, and really what it was about was just um, an effort uh, to bring the community together to, uh, as you mentioned in your intro, bring the doers uh, together because there were a lot of people doing interesting things and you know, connect people and build community. Um, and, and it grew out of that um, to five cities across the country. Um, unfortunately, no longer five. Uh, through the COVID pandemic, we can talk about that, uh, but we're continuing to grow. We're sort of, you know, building our resilience and continuing to grow. And it's, it's been a great journey. I think it's something interesting is what we've seen around the world is all of these smaller cities don't have a champion in their ecosystems to help them level the playing field for entrepreneurs. And so really when Chris, Chris is, uh, thoughtful about his, it was a post-Katrina age, but it was people who were deciding to move back to New Orleans after Katrina. They've been displaced, some of them, for more than a year. Mm. The idea was we want to build this city to be a city that reflects a new form of entrepreneurship and not sort of the old seersucker ways of the the ways that the lawyers and doctors kind of ran the city. And so I think- The seersucker ways? Is that what you refer to them as? I think I know what that means, but maybe some of our listeners might not. Please define. Uh, you know, when I moved to New Orleans before Katrina in 2001, it was a city of, uh, you know, people walking down the street in seersucker suits, having a free martini lunch. Um, not a lot of sort of, you know, entrepreneurial activity. After some bourbon at breakfast, for yeah. sure, right? Okay, that's great. But the city, <laughs> you know, always been trying to sort of, you know, change its brand from, um, you know, sort of just the bourbon street, you know, to... Uh, an innovative creative center and uh, Katrina, um, along with all of the devastation and tragedy, also provided a lot of opportunity to um, rebuild in a new way uh, mm-hmm. with a entrepreneurial ecosystem. And, and, you know, that's what we really focused on. So what was it like in the early days? Well, what, you know, what drove you? I can't, I can't imagine, you know, the chaos that must have been uh, life in that city at that time. I have some sense of it for having watched uh, David Simon's Treme and and some other important, uh, you know, movies and done some reading. You know, when the levees broke. Uh, but what was it like for you all? And what 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 drove your commitment? Well, you know, um, so this was actually before Ann and I met, and so before we were together. Um, so my memories were that that is really one of the most important times in my life, personally, uh, and in my career from a business standpoint, um, just because um, of the drive and the motivation to not just rebuild back to what we had, but to do something, do something new, do something better. And yes, it was chaos. You know, you spent the first the first couple of years where just everybody spent getting back on their feet, right? Rebuilding houses. We had, you know, a friend from the seventh ward stay with us, move in with us for a year, you know, under our roof. You know, you were doing things like that to kind of get the just get everybody back on their feet. So it really wasn't until a couple of years later where um, the entrepreneurial energy started to be released with you know, young people who were motivated by what had happened and were moving to the city, Teach for America, uh, teachers, and, you know, this, this amazing sort of entrepreneurial renaissance that, that blossomed in the city that we were, you know, fortunate to, to be a part of and to help catalyze. And so, go ahead, Ann, please. I, say, I think it's, a, and from an outsider's perspective, taking a look at what the ecosystem says, it was a really, a really interesting backdrop and memory muscle memory for those in New Orleans when COVID hit. Um, mm. So as we know, COVID hit in New Orleans. It was one of the first hotspots in the country. Um, we managed to escape Mardi Gras by a couple of days. Uh, and what we mm. heard from our community in New Orleans was sort of a similar thing, which is we know we got this. We know how to handle chaos and crisis and get through it. And I think when we look back on it, there are these muscles that came and there's a lot of devastation that was we talked about there was you know a lot of people talk about drug abuse after the the after Katrina we hear about divorces failed marriages all these things that because there was so much pressure and stress on people that the actual aftermath and impact of it 
over time is it happens after it's almost like a, a lagging mm -hmm. indicator. And so mm -hmm. as we came into this pandemic, um, you know, those in New Orleans felt very comfortable in chaos and crisis and were actually mm -hmm. leading the way. But I remember it also has informed Chris in terms of how we live our lives. And one of the ways that has informed us is when this happened, you know, we saw fairly quickly that our business was going to be one of those businesses that was going to get hard hit. Because your your yours is about in person working together, correct? That would be correct. Also mirroring long term leases with short term flexibility for our members. Um, so Got and it. supporting small businesses. And as I said to one of our landlords, I'm not in the business of shaking down small business. So uh, mm -hmm. we could see that we were going to hit that. And Chris made a really interesting point to me at the very beginning of the pandemic, which was. During Katrina, in the aftermath, I said to myself, if I stay here and wallow in the moment and the impact and don't spend time taking myself out of it and actually get it making some productive use out of this crisis, then I will look back on this time and realize that I have missed an opportunity. Hmm. And I think that's something that we've thought about. Um, and we'll get into some of the challenges we faced during the crisis of the pandemic. But I think you did that consciously during Katrina, which was, I need to make the most of this time. You were out of your house for six months. Most people were displaced. There are people that we heard, you know, and the country moves on after the crisis. Um, mm -hmm. And really the city lives with that crisis, not just for the rebuilding of mm -hmm. the houses, but the rebuilding of the community. So were there lessons that you learned, Chris, from your parents, uh, the Peace Corps uh, volunteers in, uh, in Africa that helped you uh, to, I guess, muster the will? Because uh, it seems like uh, a daunting task to, um, to do what you did there. Sure. I mean, I think, I think the, 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 lessons from Africa in my life. And um, we've been back to Africa together since. And so we've had sort of a continuing relationship with, with the continent um, are just that, you know, you observe people living in all different conditions mm -hmm. um, and you feel very fortunate, very privileged to be born where we are, the color, we, a white guy, you know, in America, you know, you're pretty mm -hmm. much at the top of the pile. Um, and, and it, and it gives you like, it just uh, just a you know understanding of um, we're going to be okay. You know there there you know there might be a, a crisis at the moment, um, but we're going to be okay, and we're we're very fortunate. So I think that's sort of just an overall framing, um, and and that's coming to play a couple times this year from uh, COVID to you know fires in Sonoma County to you know it's just a just sort of a a, a little bit of a worldview that we have. But I do think that that um has been informed by you know, growing up growing up in africa yeah yeah i i can see well how it might be let me remind listeners this is work and life on business radio sirius xm 132 i'm your host Stu friedman and i'm speaking today with ann driscoll and chris schultz who are spouses and partners in a venture called launchpad which has uh really gone through a lot this this last year so um tell us What's this last been like? What have you had to do to adjust to pandemic life from a business standpoint first? And then we'll perhaps get into what it's meant for you as a family. Yeah, I think, um, well, first of all, I think one of the interesting things about being an entrepreneur is uh, you are making a choice to kind of go your own way, right? And oftentimes entrepreneurs are notoriously positive. And so we are aiming for the, the big, big future. Um, and most people who spend a lot of time managing risk don't become entrepreneurs because there is so much risk inherent. Mm -hmm. I think what happened with the pandemic for us was we saw firsthand what does Armageddon look like in the business? Um, and so, you know, we run a business and at its core, if you just think about the business fundamentals, regardless of all the things we do around that, we rent space from a landlord in a commercial building and we take down a 10-year lease on that space 
that we are on the hook for. And then we re-rent that space for small businesses to be able to have access to professional space and business space and offices and all those things. And we give them what we don't have, which is the flexibility of a lease term. And so they'll have a six-month lease, a month-to-month lease, a 12-month lease. The whole point of this is while we provide a full service, we also are supporting the growth of small businesses in the ecosystem, right? Yes. So there, and especially in cities that might not otherwise have that kind of support. Is that right? And a lot of our, many of your listeners will have heard of WeWork. I know it's a, a popular brand. There's probably several locations in Philadelphia. A lot of the cities that we go to, WeWork wouldn't touch. We go to places where others may not venture. And we do that because we believe so strongly in the power of entrepreneurship and the impact we can have. Now, that's the, the impact on, on the community, on people in those uh, smaller markets. Is, is that what you meant? We believe that, first of all, great businesses can be built anywhere, so we can invest in businesses that we think are really interesting in any market, so we have a bird's eye view. Uh, But mostly, we realize the impact of running a co-working space is about kind of creating a spot to help people succeed, and that's what we really focus on, is how do we help you be more successful? Our members consistently come back to us and say, from the day that they start in one of our spaces, their business starts to increase in value immediately, whether it's not getting a new customer, um, getting a client, if they're a consultant, doing the networking that you actually need that most businesses, especially female-owned businesses, don't have time to do. Mm. Uh, And so we create all these opportunities for them to actually succeed. um, And that's really proud. We've also put some numbers around it. So... The impact that we can show in these cities is 9,000 jobs have been created by new, by uh, companies in Launchpad. They've raised over 200 million in venture capital and they've leased over a million in uh, real estate square footage. So like we look at that and say, that's better than Amazon HQ2 coming to your city, um, which is real. Did that, Jeff Bezos? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, 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 so then the pandemic hits and nobody's coming to offices anymore. What on earth did you do? So I like to say that like the day we celebrated my birthday. Uh, it last was, year. It last 2020. Year, it what would be considered a super spreader event of 12 people. Uh, and we basically celebrated the birthday. The pandemic hit. The shutdown began. And we sort of said the doors closed. And what wow. we immediately did was say there is. We will not make this. And everyone was saying, we'll be done. We'll be out of this shutdown in six weeks. And we were like, there's no way we're out of this shutdown in six weeks. So when we looked at it, because of the type of business we were in, we basically reached out to every one of our landlords and said, we're about to get a bunch of cancellations. We have terminations that are coming up. Um, We aren't going to be able to pay rent. All right. So now just quickly, what, what cities are you in? At We're this in point, New Orleans, Memphis, Nashville, Newark, New Jersey, and Stockton, California. Okay, thank you. All right, so you go to the landlords that you're holding ten year leases on, and they say what? <laughs> wow, um, it was pretty interesting. I'll, I'll, uh, I won't name the city. You guys can make the determination. One of our landlords said, "Don't even worry about it. Shut off auto pay. We'll talk when things settle down." Wow. The other landlord said, you guys are telling me on the first day, this is shocking. You should have a much bigger uh, set of coffers to be able to handle this. What are you talking about? All my other buildings are doing just fine. And we were like, let's wait until April 1 rent comes. <laughs> when April rent 1 rent comes, they were surprised that many of their folks could not actually pay their uh, rent payments. Mm-hmm. So the third landlord, uh, so they started to work with us. Um, they gave us a rent reduction. We did a break for a couple of days. And the third landlord had a partnership structure with us who uh, basically they were like, well, we're going to ride this wave together, um, which, by the way, is going to be is the rent structure we do going forward. Oh, um, so she had, you developed a new model, a new a new financial model. 
We had built the new model before, but we were able to road test it. And now we have a really good evidence-based example of why that business model actually works. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's helped us in all of our future locations, but it's also helped us be successful and ride the wave that has now been an entire year in, and I'll talk about that particular market, it's Newark, New Jersey. It's our most successful market. Uh, It's the first expansion market that we did. um, And it's the community that we are very, very proud of. Is, isn't Newark the city of the future? It is. And uh, it's interesting. It's also the new Brooklyn. So um, all, a lot of members of our community have moved out of Brooklyn uh, and moved into Launchpad Newark. And one of the reasons is because the creative growth, the music growth, all of the really great things that are happening are happening in downtown Newark. And I Amazing. used to be in Newark and I can tell you it was not happening there 20 years ago. Yes. So no, my my son worked there when he got out of college uh, for, for Cory Booker when he was mayor. Um, and I'm from Brooklyn, uh, but I'm from Brooklyn from another planet, if you know what I mean. Um, so I, I'm familiar with that terrain. So so Newark at Newark, you were able to develop a model that, well, enables you to do what now? I mean, how is it working this last year when nobody's coming to offices? I still don't get how it's working. Well, so I think that was also an interesting thing. Our two other locations were in office buildings. And so okay. um, that actually Memphis and New Orleans had a pretty significant impact on it. They also had traditional leases. Um, we're also no longer in those cities. Um, I see, so I see. the company that was born in New Orleans uh, is waiting. We're, we're currently finding a new home in New Orleans to come back to. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was because a lot of people weren't coming to the building. Um, and I think office space in commercial buildings is, is going to be challenged in the future. Our space in Newark, it works really well. It's on the second floor above a Whole Foods. It's a community activated space. There's a lot of action that happens around it. Um, it doesn't feel like you're getting into an elevator and going up to the ninth floor. And I think that is a really important thing, especially in our type of business where we're a convenient place. Hmm. So you developed a set of values, uh, as most companies do, and I'm I'm just really curious about how you developed them and what they meant to you, especially this last year, and how being a first believer, uh, that's the first listed among your values, what that has meant uh, from the beginning and now especially. Yeah, so the, the concept of first believers is something that, that I've always um, taken pride in, um, and it's about the entrepreneurial journey. And often when you're beginning, you might have you know, this, this idea, this notion of something you want to do, and you, you tell your mom, you might tell your, to tell your partner, tell your spouse, uh, and, and everybody says that, don't do it, it'll never work. Everybody, you know, everybody's a critic, right? And um, the idea of being a first believer is, you know, something that I've always tried to do, which is um, give you a little nudge forward, a little push. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's great. Let, let's do it. Encouragement. I think that's all. That's what we what we need. And so we we talk about Launchpad as being a community of first believers, where we're actually nurturing and and helping people you know move forward, and that can be you know, manifest in any number of ways from uh, being an investor in a company, but also to be a first customer. Um, I love being the first buyer. When somebody starts a company, I say, I'll hire you to do our photography session or make Mm -hmm. a video or, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, So for us, you know, it also, um, I think over the course of the the year, it it has sort of reinforced uh, our, I think our belief in ourselves uh, that, you know, through there, there will be light at the end of the tunnel. Now, I think we're sort of seeing a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, but, uh, you know, just, just the resiliency to make it through. And, you know, we do this, we do a podcast too. And I, I remember last April on the, you know, sort of time frame you're talking about um, where people were really down and people were trying to get PPP loans and just, of course. Know, and we were really focused on just, hey, let's bring people together and make it through. Just make it through this together. Just don't die, right? Stay alive with your business. 
to the extent you can. So, you well, know, and, and as a person. And as a person, right? As a person, right? This is, I mean, it's it's as literal as, as you can as you can possibly imagine, uh, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's interesting, the first believer, we also combine that with we go long. And I think that's something that we've seen really powerful. It's just we go long. One of our values is we go long, which what? does not roll off the tongue and is actually often misunderstood by a lot of people. But it's something that Chris and I live our life by. What is that? Well, first of all, we like to be the good guys. Um, and so sometimes it takes people off their game because they're like, what, what's in it for you? And Chris Schultz will always say, I'm just a good guy. Like, I'm just trying to do this. And so when we work. Yeah, with but really. No, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and so when we work with people and we make relationships and we do things, we never really think like, what is the transaction at the end of this? going to look like and we have no idea what that is and the hours of mentorship or the hours of crying on each other's shoulders or the hours of celebrating or fun or questions or debate all those things are just things you put into a piggy bank somehow in the future that maybe it doesn't even come to fruition and as a result what happened during this time is we had a lot of people cheering for us Mm -hmm. um, right. Wanting us to succeed because we've been there first as first believers, but also in the sense of we go long, which is we're always going to be the biggest cheerleader and supporter through that process. Um, and it's really nice to be able to make friendships and build relationships without thinking about the transaction. Now, we might do that to a fault from a if you were my our business manager. But we think the proceeds of that come in spades. And we, we've seen material impact of that, um, whether it's people wanting to be at Launchpad or investments we've been allowed to make or relationships or invitations or any of those things. They don't come because we start the conversation with what am I going to, what value am I going to extract from this? We're going to have to take a short break here, and I want to continue on this theme and also how it plays out in your lives together as a family, because it must. Uh, hang on, folks. We'll be right back. I'm going to be continuing my conversation with Ann Driscoll and Chris Schultz, the co-founders of Launchpad. So stay with us. I'm Stu Friedman. This is Work and Life on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. We'll be right back. You're listening to Work and Life on Business Radio. Welcome back to Work and Life. I'm your host, Stu Friedman, and I am the founder of Total Leadership, which is a management consulting and training company dedicated to helping people, organizations find harmony among the different parts of life and improve performance in all of them. I've been at Wharton since 1984, which means I'm probably older than my guests today in terms of how long I've been at Wharton and how long they've been alive. But no matter, I am much enjoying my conversation with Ann Driscoll and Chris Schultz, the co-founders of an organization called Launchpad. Ann is the CEO. Chris is the chief community officer. And let's, let's get back into the conversation. So um, you're going long and investing in long-term relationships as the way you do your business. How does that play out in the other parts of your life? That same philosophy. <laughs> yeah, the, well, I, I, let's start with um, where that initiated when uh, we got married. And uh, this is a second uh, marriage for both of us. Um, and, uh, I was running Launchpad and, um, by definition, it's geographically sort of, you know, all over the place, uh, different cities. And so there's travel involved mm -hmm. and was in her Silicon Valley, you know, high growth startup, you know, doing, doing great, you know, having, having an incredible career. And we, we sort of said, how, how is this going to work? Right. Um, and so I asked, and I don't know how exactly what the conversation was, but I said, I, th I think we should do this together. Um, and, uh, you know, asked her to join me as a partner in the business first, and then we can get into, uh, ultimately I asked her to replace me as CEO, 
Um, so I stepped down as CEO and stepped in. Hang on. So the business partnership came before the marriage or you're being together as a couple or after? After we, after we got married, uh, we didn't want to be traveling to different places, right? Got it. right. Live in California. I own fifth. Uh, I own fifty percent of that company. I was tired of seeing it run into the ground. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah, so. you're like let's make something out of this. <laughs> <I'm just teasing. laughs> um, and so you uh, were saying that you asked Ann to succeed you as CEO. Succeed first. Join the company as a as a partner again uh-huh. since we already own fifty percent. Um, once we were married and, uh, and then ultimately succeed me as CEO, uh, because, you know, to be honest, she has the expertise for it. She's worked in, she's worked at Google. She's worked in executive roles at, at startups. She's, you know, CEO caliber, uh, the business was ready to go to the next level and she's the best person for the job. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and it also then, you know, was going to allow us to live this glamorous life of, Traveling all over the country, tra- you know, and the world, and the world, creating to Omaha and Mesa, Arizona, and San Antonio. Right, right. right. That was our. We're gonna we we go long. We're gonna we're gonna go to all these places, live this interesting life, and then we had a baby. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, uh, it is true. A big a big part of our original growth strategy was also a global perspective. So something that we did uh, a lot was we spent a lot of time in Nigeria, uh, in Lagos, working in the startup scene. This was just after we were married. Um, So we saw Launchpad as a platform that could be something that could be a global platform. Um, Uh And so, uh, and and not necessarily we want to run co-working spaces all around the world. Like that, that seems sort of hard and not ideal but we want to build the world's largest community of entrepreneurs. And one of the things that we saw when we would go into these ecosystems is we should get into the personal, but all of them, all cities face the same problems, right? They face all of the political infighting that actually happens. All the organizations think they're the ones that should have all the money. All of the uh, different entrepreneurial groups think they're the most entrepreneurial group that matters. All of the angel investors want their pound of flesh. And so we've heard this every single time, whether you're in Mesa, Arizona, or you're in Lagos, Nigeria. And so our perspective was, why don't like we actually build a company where we can spend time around the world, learn and connect deeply in the cities around the world, and create a network. And networks are inherently valuable and exciting and powerful, but it's also sort of an extension of our life work. And I think, Chris, you glossed over the fact that your dad's life work was helping to bring aid uh, to communities in need. We aren't those people necessarily, mm-hmm. but this is a way for us to build communities around the world and mm-hmm. connect people. And Maybe the people in need that we focus on are entrepreneurs because that's really natural to us, but it really is an extension of a feeling of wanting to give back. So we started with that really big lofty goal. (laughs) We've all been tempered over the last couple of years. The first tempering was, and we were like, well, if we're going to do that, we can't not do it together, right? It's no fun if someone has to go to Mesa, Arizona, and the other person's in a hotel room in New York working on their job. So if we're gonna be in hotel rooms and places around the world, let's do it together. And we also didn't think we could have a baby. Hmm. So um, it made sense for us to take the leap and not have my job as, you know, the thing that kind of was our salary that was our baseline living expenses. We call we it like going all in. Going all in. Pushing let's the just, chips all in. Let's just do it. We can. We're 40. We've got uh, no kids, no anything, and we can just take the leap. And I think that's a really good message, right? Which is we felt like our luxury was the ability to take that leap and to live uh, and work and have the agency and the freedom to do that. And, and to then be back- kind oh, of nomadic, right? You could be peripatetic. You could move. Uh, you, you had a lot of uh, freedom of mobility, which was important for your business. Well, and when we were starting, when we started to work together, I was starting a business called Nomadic. And ironically enough, and Chris said to me, why are you starting another business? We actually have a platform business that we've built and we've spent 10 years doing this work. Let's just do this. So 
So you go all in and then, and then the, then the, somehow the miracle of, uh, of, of uh, a, a new child growing uh, has, has occurred. How does oh, yeah. that, how does oh, that yeah. change things? Well, we had a conversation. We were like, are we okay? We're not going to have kids. We sort of had a plan around not worrying too much whether it would happen if it happened. And it did. did. And we were like, I remember thinking like, oh my God, I don't have a job. I don't have, I don't have maternity leave. I don't have really good healthcare. What the heck are we going to do? And I, I was like, you, you, what? Oh my, what, what have I done? And I, I did that. What have I done? Total shock. What you hear I that, prospective parents? <laughs> I left my stock options. I left my big salary. I left my big C-level job. And now I am running this co-working space and about to have a baby. I'm crazy. And, okay. And anyway, it only took a couple of days. And then all of a sudden we realized, wow, we've been given this gift. Yes, you have. We're working. We're, we've got a baby on the way. We get to work on something. We can work remotely from wherever we are. So we moved up to Sonoma County. We built a remote team that worked all over the country. We now maybe don't have global aspirations for the next two years or three years in terms of expansion and certainly the pandemic has hurt us on that. But I mean, you, you literally couldn't design a better life than to have a baby, run your own business, and um, be able to have the flexibility of enjoying it all. And I know that if I had a real job, I'd be at the office until six or seven o'clock every single night working on somebody else's business. So, so you're saying, Anne, as CEO of Launchpad, that you do not have a real job. That's what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all yeah. right. Yeah, well, you have a lot more freedom, and that's part of uh, what the whole entrepreneurial world is about, right? Is is the dream of of freedom and, well, in the best case, contribution. So, what has that meant for for the two of you in terms of how you figure out who does what? But I'm starting in the domestic side of your organization. Well, um, let me just touch on what the statement you just made. Okay. Because I, I actually think that that's just that's a, such an important statement, and it speaks to the the reason I'm an entrepreneur and the reason that we believe so deeply in the power of entrepreneurship. It's about agency, right? Mm-hmm. We've always wanted to live our lives on our own terms, and you know, you talk about being an entrepreneur and not having a boss. Of course, you have bosses: your customers, your employees, your kid, whoever. But you living your life on your own term is what the power of entrepreneurship uh, has the ability to do mm-hmm. for people. And so, you know, we can, we can get into, you know, kind of what that what that has has meant for us, um, you know, over the last year. And we've sort of really thought about how we're how we're living, you know, through through COVID and where we're living. But that freedom, that agency um, is just, you know, that's at the core of why somebody wants to become an entrepreneur. <laughs> but doing it together, I think where we were going was, you know, I think the first side is we we spent a lot of time, there are all these moments where, you know, you don't get the ability to go home and complain about your work spouse because your work spouse is your spouse. <laughs> um, and so we've had times where, you know, especially in the beginning, where you kind of run over each other. Um, because we all have egos, uh, and we all are challenged in sort of what we do. And normally you get to come home and say to your husband, like, I can't believe Brent did this the other day, or I can't believe so. Brent. Ooh, fucking Brent. Right. Oh, always Brent. Sorry. Always Brent. Anyway, (laughs) please continue that chance to sort of come home and vent and have your spouse be that recipient of that sort of vitriol or frustration or just in general mm-hmm. having someone who's biased towards your perspective, right? Mm-hmm. And so what we learned early on was we sort of had to find tools to take breaks from it, right? We had to sort of, and I think, Chris, you go inside and I go outside. And when Chris- I want to hear, hear exactly what that means because uh, now we're getting into some... Uh, 
practical wisdom about your knowledge of each other and what you need to be able to uh, complement each other in the domestic sphere as you're running this company together. Let me just take a short moment here to let our listeners know you're listening to Work and Life on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. I'm your host, Stu Friedman. I'm speaking with Ann Driscoll and Chris Schultz, who are the co-founders and leaders of an organization called Launchpad. All right. So, Chris, you're, I think you were about to say um, how this has actually worked out in terms of lessons you've learned about how to, uh, how to be both, well, co-leading a company and, and co-leading your family. Yeah, I think, um, you know, it, it's about, uh, as you were saying, and sort of the, the where you draw energy from, um, we actually can't always be talking about the business, um, which we do a lot. And <laughs> Of course you do. Together, you're, you're talking at the dinner table, but you were, you were sort of talking about this idea of where you restore your energy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, for me, it's more internal um, I love, you know, things that are analog, uh, reading a book, being outside, going fishing, going surfing, and you draw more externally focused energy. So you, you need attention right? from people and from people and being around people. Mm-hmm. Sure. And that's, that's how we transition, uh, also through tough times in our relationship from work, right? you will go out and restore yourself and maybe have a bit of a run mm-hmm. and then be like, Ooh, I sort of maybe went over the line on that one or I got too big a knife out when I wanted to have that fight. And I might just, I let, I'm a powder keg. So I just let it out. And then I want, I want sort of some closure and then we can move on. And so we've, we've learned over time that there are pieces of our personality that, and I think this is true of everything, right? There's pieces of our personality that make us who we are, but there are also those pieces on the flip side make us kind of tough on each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we're, we call it sort of like when you're in shape, meaning we're exercising regularly and we're doing that in our the totality of our relationship, that means that we are able to identify those things quicker um, and roll through them. When we're out of shape, right? In times of stress or where our energy is low or the business is suffering, that's when we sort of can see like, oh, it might get pushed a little further um, in terms of the challenge or in terms of being not being nice to each other. Um, And so what we've learned is we sort of learned to sort of see where the edge is and then pull ourselves back and and realize like, how do you apologize? How do you recenter? How do you Hmm. think about what the next day is. So I wonder if you could boil that down, either one of you, to uh, a, a piece of advice you might want to offer, knowing that, you know, you're not experts, you know, with a shingle outside your your shop uh, on, on marital counseling. But just as a, as a couple running a company together, what's top of mind for you as you think about um, people listening who are either thinking about or in the throes of starting uh, a family, you know, run operation, two people together. Um, what advice would you have for them? Well, I'd rather be successful than right. Um, and so in an argument and disagreement, um, I really focus on uh, trying to really see Anne's perspective, trying to really understand where she's coming from. Mm-hmm. And in many cases, you know, letting her be right, not trying to win every argument, not trying to win every battle, understanding what we're focused on in the long game. Um, because I think there, you know, things can really get into, you know, bickering. And uh-huh. Of course. Work with you well, this is entirely consistent with, with uh, what it means to be a first believer and to go long. Yeah. Right. Yeah. How, how about you, Ann? 30 <laughs> seconds. Cause I, I want to get to other stuff about being parents Okay. Uh, what's yeah. what's what's the nugget of advice that is most prominent as you think about offering it to others? Um, find a moment where you can transition from work to life uh, in mm. your day. So and take some breaths and say, we're going to actually close that down, shut it off and focus on what we want to do because you're in it together. You're all in. The only choice is 
really, really bad. The only other option is really, really bad. So you might as well succeed together. Hmm. So you want to shut it down. And, and Chris says, yep, I, I, that's great. But we really have to talk about this now because we have to make a decision in the next 20 minutes about X, Y, Z. What happens then? Shut it down in 20 minutes. Oh, okay. So you got some flexibility around that, of course. In your day where you transition from all work to some play. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Every day. I mean, if you can. Yeah, it, all Nobody right. works out every day, it, so every it's, a, day. it's a good goal. And also, I do. <laughs> we try, I try to as well. But Stu, also, I, I don't even, it, every day is important. There's a daily cycle, but then there's also monthly cycles, quarterly cycles. Of course. Um, we try to take, you know, a family trip, a, a travel, something, a different environment and, and get ourselves out of our day-to-day routine, you know, every those quarter. every quarter. So, so there's also other rituals that we, we incorporate too. So tell me what it's like for you to be raising a child together and raising a business together. <laughs> you know, Thank, be grateful for the helpers. And I think um, a lot of people have struggled during COVID because, you know, everyone's at home and that's very, very challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, we have been really, really lucky. We had a we have a nanny uh, mm-hmm. decided to stay with us um, mm. and uh, she stayed throughout the pandemic. So we, we have actually a fairly normal life with her. Um, and we get the opportunity to hang out with a two-year-old, which is a lot different than an eight-year-old that's doing Zoom classes. So um, for us, she's just a welcome break from the everyday. I think one of the things that we see is, is that we lose a little bit of the couple time um, because so much of our time is spent on work. Um, and then it's on Harper. Uh, and then we need to figure out how do we actually carve out one or two. One, one of the things we're thinking about is one or two days a quarter for us by ourselves, not talking about work, not talking about the future, thinking about just Chris and Anne and how, how we're going to, you know, continue to invest in the relationship. Not uh, just- I'm writing a prescription right now for you to do that once per quarter. You take two days to just go somewhere on, on your own. That was certainly something that helped me when uh, my wife and our kids were young. We're married 40 years now uh, and the kids are all grown up and such. But that was really important for us, too. And it sounds like you have the capacity to do that. It's just a matter of, you know, deciding to do it and committing to it. Well, what are you hoping uh, for? What what does it look like five years from now? What does Launchpad look like five years from now? And how do your lives change uh, in that vision? Well, uh, I, I mean, you know, onward and upward. I think we we need to um, make it through, and um, and and we will. Um, we're determined to do that, and I think that the more um, we can grow launchpad locations open and you know new markets you know philadelphia being one of them that we would uh that we're eager to uh enter um i think that's 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 sort of the game plan and i think if we can continue to run the business in a way that really works for us um i i think that you know both of us are um you know committed to this sort of distributed, you know, model that we were already doing. And now the world is sort of moving to where um, I think a, a benefit we can provide people, employees in our business is to, is to choose where they want to live and, and work for work for our company, um, you know, work in these locations. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I think that and um, ultimately, you know, we'll have to, Harper will have to go to school, but um, we do want to until continue then. to travel uh, <laughs> and and spend time in different places until then. Yeah, I think I think this year of the pandemic and we got hit with a couple of things, right? We our business we had a major crisis in our business. Uh, I mean, it's literally on life support. We will survive thanks to uh, actually PPP and things like that. Um, we're critical to us being able to navigate. So we we got to get out of this phase, but. It has given us an opportunity to rethink what we want to do um, and how we want to do it. And we have different sort of aspirations for the business and a lot more about 
giving back to the community and supporting other businesses like ours. And so I think that's the big difference in Launchpad is I'd rather support a whole bunch of independent co-working spaces than be a bunch of spaces. And so um, we really have seen that as something that's powerful. And I think we also have seen, we nearly lost our house in the fires here in California. I mean, it oh. came through within 200 yards. All of our neighbors lost everything. Um, so we wow. wake grateful every day. Uh, mm -hmm. And we displaced ourselves for two months to North Carolina because of that. Um, and that gave us also a perspective around you know, when, when life kind of gets you, uh, what are the best things that you can make from it? And so we went to the beach, um, which we were lucky uh, enough to do, and certainly in these times. And I think as we come out of this year, magical thinking um, and challenges, we really are preternaturally positive. And so I guess we look at it and say, how are we going to change the way we live and look? And I think it's going to be more time with Harper and our family on the road. It's going to be maybe a little less ambitious around our growth plans, but do it more thoughtfully. Um, and it's going to be about, I mean, we're in five years, we'll both be over 50. Um, we don't, maybe we don't have to run on the wheel as fast as we did. And I think we both really, really appreciate how lucky we are in life um, and how important that is. And we can still run a great business. Um, it doesn't have to be the greatest business in the world. It just needs to be a great business for us and our family. And I think that's where lifestyle business gets kind of a, a tough name in the venture capital world. But man, if we can, we can do great things together and have an impact on the communities that we serve and maybe some side projects, mm -hmm. uh, whether it's in wine or retreats, who knows? Uh, Lines of retreats. Now you're speaking my language, people. Yeah. Um, uh, we're going to have to wrap it here and perhaps we'll have another chance to talk about other projects that you're working on. But for now, I just want to thank you, Anne and Chris, for joining me today and ask you, where can listeners find out more about Launchpad? Our website is lp.co and on Twitter, we're at Launchpad. Uh, my Twitter is at C Schultz C S C A Q L T Z and mine's at Ann Driscoll. That's Ann Lipanine. Ann and Chris, once again, thank you so much. I really appreciate your being with us today. Wonderful to be with you, Stu. Thank you. And thank you for joining us, for listening in. Don't forget to tune in next week at 5 p.m. Eastern. If you have a question about something you heard on the show, just email me. I'm Friedman at Wharton.upen.edu. And you can listen in on free versions of this show a little bit after it airs live at totalleadership.org and find all kinds of other cool stuff there. Thanks, Patty Hall, for producing. And our sound engineer is Chris Tooks. I'm Stu Friedman. You've been listening to Work and Life on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 132.